Hello, this is Ellis Prince, the pastor of the Gallery Church of Baltimore. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. I hope this teaching inspires you and gives you courage to pursue Jesus Christ. I hope that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. If we can help you in any way, please feel free to reach out. Now let's get back to the podcast. All right, so John 18, Jesus arrested. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew, that, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials with the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all of the things was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with the commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and they brought him first to Annas and then to who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Peter's denial, first denial. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to be known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple who was, no, who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You are the one of the man's disciples too, aren't you? Are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and the officials stood, that, stood around a fire there and made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus with his disciples in teaching. I have spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in the synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews came come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But, I, but if I've spoke the truth, why have you struck me? 
Then Annas said, said to him, sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was standing there warming himself. So they asked him, aren't you the one disciples too? Are you? He denied it saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now, with early morning and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out, of, out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he, is not, if he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take, this, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Um, Pilate replied, Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, Pilate, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on this side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in, in an uprising. May God bless the reading and the hearers of this word, and let us introduce Pastor Charlie Mitchell. God bless you. Well, good morning, everybody. You doing okay? Well, um, you won't be doing okay for long, because... Um, um, it's, it's interesting, you know, being a, a guest speaker. Um, so shout out to Pastor Ellis, you know. Um, shout out to him for being such a loving and kind host for a guest preacher to speak on something so tragic, sad, and depressing. <laughs> All right, so this isn't hope-filled. This isn't encouraging. This isn't rah-rah. This is one of the, in all of literature, one of the saddest chapters in segments in any story ever written. And guess what? We get to dive deep into it today. So I'm really 
not excited, but I'm excited for what God has for us in store. So the title of my message this morning is Beyond Betrayal, Beyond Betrayal. And um, I've named it Beyond Betrayal because we kind of, betrayal is one of those areas, one of those things that we could easily get trapped in. If you've ever experienced betrayal, it's one of those things that can just kind of suck you in, hold you in place, and it's hard to move beyond. Um, I found this one author, uh, William Blake. Here's what he said. It is easier to forgive an enemy than to forgive a friend. That's how potent betrayal feels. The sense of someone close to me, somebody that I thought loved me, cared about me, that should know me, I thought would uh, protect me. And they're the one standing there with the knife in their hand. Betrayal can come like a thief in the night, striking at the heart of our trust and leaving behind a wound that can last a lifetime. So I don't know about you, we can see in our world and especially where we live that betrayal can take on all shapes and sizes. It can be minor all the way up to major. It can be a friend that shares a secret that you ask them specifically not to share. It can be the work gossip that goes on amongst the coworkers, or it can be a spouse that breaks their fidelity. And many of us have experienced a range of all the emotions that come with betrayal. Have you ever seen the show uh, Catfish <laughs> on MTV? Okay, now, I see a couple heads I see back there. No, you have never seen it. Okay, now, look. <laughs> Catfish is betrayal at the highest level for all of us to enjoy, okay? So what I mean is you, 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 you start a little relationship with somebody online. You know, it's cordial, it's nice, maybe a chat room. Anybody remember those AIM chat rooms back in the day? I'm aging myself. But you get a little chat room action going on, maybe a pen pal back. So you got this person on the other end of this electronic conversation that's presenting themselves a certain way. And then you build relationships. Build time, and you invest in this communication, and your heart becomes entangled with this person digitally. Now, many of us will say, man, that's uh, never, but I don't know. There's been those moments where you just type in, and this person is reading your mail, you're re and they, you just feel so close, even though you're digitally miles away. And then here's where Catfish comes in. They find out who this person is. Now, you've fallen in love with this photo or this image of this person, man or woman, whatever. And Catfish does the research. They go to the person's house. They bring you along so y'all are in the car together. They figure out who it is, and they set up a time to meet. And you're going to meet the love of your life, the person you've invested all this time in. You've just, you've just shared all your secrets, your heart, your love, your affection just to meet up at a rundown Pizza Hut on the side of the road, and this person who you've fallen in love with is not that person. It's the opposite of that person. 
And now we get to watch the fallout of whatever this imaginary relationship was. We get to enjoy your pain and suffering and sorrow. Now, what's interesting about Catfish is, man, we, we got to see, and Netflix has a brand new documentary about a football player that had been in a relationship for six years. And you're like, no, nah, you're a grown man, you're a college student, you're doing your thing. And, and literally, the story is so fantastic that, man, he's, 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 he's about to receive the Heisman Award. He finds out his grandmother's about passed away, and then his digital girlfriend dies all of a sudden. So he shares this, you know, at an award, man, I'm just dedicating this to my grandma and my girlfriend. And come to find out the girlfriend wasn't a girlfriend, it was a man friend. And the embarrassment and the pain and the shame it may have derailed this man's whole life. And many of us, we know what that pain and that shame can feel like. And Jesus, we get to see him experience that kind of betrayal. Someone so close, people you've invested in, spent time with, walked alongside. How do you prepare yourself for that type of pain? If we're smart, we're doing everything we can to protect ourselves, right? I don't want to experience that. I got to be smart. I got to keep my eyes, eyes open, my ears open. I got to pay attention because I don't want to walk into that type of thing. I don't want to feel that kind of thing. But nine times out of ten, there's no way for you to ever avoid it and no way to know when it's going to happen. But what we love about Jesus is he provides for us a model on how to navigate it when we find ourselves being betrayed. In John 18, we find Jesus fully aware of the impending betrayal of Judas, but not only Judas, the disciple who said he died for him. He knows that both of these people are going to betray him. So moving steadfastly towards, instead of just being trapped in the betrayal, he says, no, I'm going to stay with my mission. He doesn't step back in bitterness or disappointment or seek revenge. Man, I mean, one, one author says, Shannon Adler, she writes, if you spend your time hoping someone will suffer the consequences of what they did to your heart, then you're allowing them to hurt you a second time in your mind. So many of us get trapped in that sense of betrayal. No, I gotta get, they got to get there. They, they, they got to feel what I'm feeling. And Jesus doesn't allow that betrayal to stop him at all. It doesn't even slow down his love for them or his purpose. Instead, he continues to extend his hand, his care to a world that knows, that he knows will outright reject him. So that's why this, this chapter is one of the saddest chapters because it's like Jesus, all we've seen him do, if you've been walking with John, is he's been loving, serving, caring, sharing to get, how do you get to John 18 from all, from all of Jesus' receipts? And this is especially potent for those of us who live in a city like Baltimore. Our lives in our very hearts, we experience betrayal all the time, whether it's a city official that doesn't do what they're supposed to do, whether it's the police who are supposed to protect and preserve, or it's the education system. I mean, it's every level. You're just like, no, nope, 
I'm not giving my heart out because I know it'll be betrayed. So the first thing we see, first thing we see in John chapter 18 is the sting of betrayal. The sting of betrayal. John chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, after Jesus said all these things. Now, one of the things that he said was, I'm praying for you guys. I love you. There's a comforter coming. He's prepared them. Y'all have been walking with Pastor Ellis in this series. So he's been preparing them for weeks and weeks and weeks. He's been saying, I'm going to die. Like, this is nothing new, and this is, this, the action's about to start happening. And so after he said all these things, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into a Judas who betrayed him. One thing I find interesting about betrayal is the betrayal happens before you know it. So typically, you're still in relationship with the person that's betrayed you, which makes the betrayal worse when you find out. Because betrayal didn't happen the moment y'all had a conversation. There was a decision made apart from you that then comes back, that reels on you. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. He knew Jesus. He knew his rhythms, his patterns, his habits. Knew the place. Because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas took a company of soldiers. Oh, going to Judas. You done brought dudes with us too, man. Like, this is, hey, this is our private thing. Judas brought a company of soldiers and officials and the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Who are you coming to get? A militia member? That, like, a terrorist? What, what are you coming with? Armed guards and torches and all this? Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to them, who is it that you're here seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they answered, I'm he, Jesus told them. Judas, who betrayed him, who was standing with them, was also standing with him when Jesus told them, I'm he. They stepped back and fell to the ground. Now in this, this storyline that John lays out for us, we don't get to see where it's the most, the most like gut-wrenching, where Judas leans in and gives him a kiss. But that's the sting of Betrayal. The sting of betrayal is a wound to the heart, but not, it doesn't have to be the end of the path. And for many of us, as we experience betrayal, it can feel like a barrier. It can feel like a wall towards the future. How can I engage in relationship ever again? How can I, like, I'm so, but Jesus is sitting here in this moment moving through this situation. He's moving through this situation. They're sitting there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's, he's just been praying. And then now you got the betrayal of his friend, the broken trust that was once given. He was trusted with the money. He was trusted with the finances. He was trusted, entrusted with Jesus' presence and his words. And How many of you would trade places with Judas in a given moment? Hey, you get to spend two years on the road with Jesus all day, every day, eat with him, hang out with him. Would you betray him? So all of us are disappointed with Judas because we're like, yo, bro, like you really messed, like we would have loved your spot, bro. And that's that's why betrayal stings so bad. It's like, I would have never expected it from somebody like you. It's the friend who shares our secrets, the family member who breaks our trust, the confidant who turns out to be a conspirator. 
And the natural inclination is to build walls, not bridges, to close off our heart rather than to open them to the potential pain. And what Jesus models for us is that none of us will be able to avoid this thing of betrayal. If he was perfect, if he was sinless, if he was kind, if he healed, if he raised the dead, and he couldn't avoid betrayal, brother and sister, listen, you're not going to avoid it. And it's going to hurt. And Jesus shows us, all right, I mean, if it happened to him, he said, hey, listen, if, it's, if, it, if you're following me, this is what's going to happen. If you're one of my disciples, listen, if they did it to me, it's going to happen to you. So many of us now, you're like, oh, well, I don't know if I'm really interested in this whole discipleship to Jesus thing if that means, if that's what comes with it. And Jesus is clear, you got to count the costs. Because part of following me is showing people love that don't deserve it and loving those who are plotting to hurt you. In spite of their plots and plans, you still must have the capacity to love them in spite of it. But what's so unique and special about Christ is we find the strength to resist to urge to become inward and guarded. We're called to do the hard work of healing, to confront our pain, and to emerge not cynical, but wise. Not hardened, but hopeful. So I think Jesus' followers should be the most wise and discerning, because we can see how people move. Why, do we, why should we be the most wise and discerning? Well, Jesus is clear. Listen, be as wise as serpent and as gentle as doves, right? Why? Because we know the heart of men and women. Not only do we know the heart of men and women, we know the darkness of our own hearts. Because we've been the one who has also betrayed others. And so what helps us to move through the world with a sense of hope and peace is like, all right, I know how my heart works. So I'm, I, I got to have a little bit of grace and compassion to be able to navigate and care for those who may do something to me. So let us declare that although the sting of betrayal is a chapter in our story, is not the conclusion. So some of you are going, man, I'm, you don't know what happened to me in that relationship. You don't know what happened to me when I gave myself to this employer. I did everything I was supposed to do. I came in early. I stayed late. I sacrificed time with my family. You don't understand. I'm not giving myself like that again. Here's the deal. We will take the piercing pain, but allow it to be a refining fire that purifies our intentions, but also solidifies our trust in God. How does it help us to do that? Because God never betrays. He's our anchor. That's what we just sang. He's our anchor when the waves go up and down. He's the rock on which I stand. He's the one that we cling to when everything else falters. So that's the sting of betrayal. But the second thing we see is this. Jesus' response to betrayal. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, he addresses them. Not only does he do that, I tell you, I'm he, Jesus replied, so if you're looking for me, let these other brothers go. 
Not only that, uh, he's protecting people in the midst of his betrayal. He didn't go into self-preservation mode. Jesus immediately goes, all right, I know you're here to deal with me, but that has nothing to do with them. So Jesus' response to betrayal is there's grace in the garden where he's still being betrayed. There's still kindness. He's calm knowing how to respond to Judas and the soldiers for the protection of his disciples. Now, many of you, I don't know about you. I'm just thinking, hey, y'all coming to get me. I, hey, we, we are going down fighting. Uh, you see how they're coming to get us. We riding together, right? Y'all said y'all are with me. Y'all said we, now you see how they're coming to get me. Like we, we rolling together. And what happens is Jesus doesn't take the posture of I'm being victimized. He doesn't take the posture of woe is me and a pity party. He doesn't do that. He goes, hey, 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 listen. All right, we can deal with each other, but I still, I need you to let these brothers go. So there is grace in the garden, and there in the, in lies something for us. Jesus maintains his composure in the midst of chaos. For many of us, we lose our composure when we feel violated, when we feel betrayed, when our heart is broken. And it gives us a license, as uh, 007 would say, a license to kill. So listen, I, I love Jesus up to a certain point. But when it hurts too deep, then I got to do what I've got to do. Now, many of us will say, man, well, no, I would never say that. Well, your actions tell us a lot about how you act under pressure. So many of us would never verbalize how we really feel. But I love what Tupac said. I ain't no killer, but don't push me. Don't test my limits. You don't know what I've got going on in here. So you don't, don't tempt me. In that way, but Jesus keeps his composure. Jesus had prayed to the Father in Gethsemane. He had already relinquished his will. He had already entrusted himself to the will of the Father. And so he's not here defending himself. He had already prepared his heart for whatever may come. That I'm committed to you. I'm committed to the way you've called me, this way of life, this philosophy, this, this walking in this way. Being a disciple of Jesus means I'm committed to this hell or high water. I'm not a Christian because it's comfortable. I'm a Christian because this is the way. This is life. This is truth. This is, this is, this is, what, this is the only thing I have to hold on to. So if I hold on to my sense of reality, then I'm, I'm going to fail, I'm going to falter, and it's not going to work. But if I trust Jesus, and Jesus has relinquished himself to the Father, his demeanor is not one of rage. It's calm. He embodies serenity. And what I love is he said, listen, I'm sending you a comforter, one that will give you peace, a peace that you won't even really understand. And there have been situations in my life that I'll tell you, I don't know how I made it through. I now understand what the old saints used to say. Back in church, we had those testimony services and, you know, people could just stand up and give their testimony and share their, their thoughts and their experiences from that week and they would share a testimony. And it was great sometimes because it, it could go off the rails real fast. But 
But there's a sense in which they go, man, God, I just, I just have this sense of peace that's up. I don't know how I made it through. I'm still, what they used to say, I'm stayed in my right mind. I didn't go crazy when I had every right to and should have. So I don't know if you've ever been under that kind of pressure where you just feel like your back is against the wall and our primal instinct kicks in. But Jesus gives us the capacity to have a peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's what we see exemplified in him in this picture. And not only does he have, keep his composure, he protects his flock. He's a selfless shepherd. And if he's a selfless shepherd with them under pressure, how much more is he a protective shepherd with us? So, third thing we see is the power of sacrificial love. The power of sacrificial love. John 18, 9 through 11. This was to fulfill the words he had said, I have not lost one of those who you have given me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut, it, cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. At that, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? Now watch this. This is, this is interesting because Jesus, all right, Jesus is about to be arrested. And now here's a moment where, all right, I want somebody to get some pain. I, I need somebody to feel some of this that I'm going through. The anxiety I'm feeling, the, 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 the pressure I'm on, I need something. So if Peter rises up and cuts the dude ear off, now listen, I'm just being honest about me. Y'all don't got to be honest. Listen, I don't care. If, so, if I'm being violated, I want somebody else to feel some pain. I don't even care if it's an innocent bystander. Somebody got to feel something. But Jesus, even in that, the people who were coming against him, he said, no, what are you doing? He has... He has love. He has sacrificial love for them. He was so moved, man. I got, I got things I've got to do. I'm here to be sacrificed. I'm not here to fight for myself. This is what I came to do. He says, listen, I'm here for this specific moment. This, this is a fulfillment of the words that were said in Scripture. He is so dedicated to his mission, he knows that he has to go through betrayal to get to the promise. How, much, how dedicated are we to our discipleship to Jesus? How committed are we to our sanctification and maturation process in Christ that we go, Part of that process is that you must be betrayed in order to grow into maturity. And Jesus goes, hey, this is a part of my process. So don't stop the flow of what has been ordained for me to go through. I know we can rise up right now. We probably can make a few moves. I can go on the run for a few days, whatever. He goes, no, 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 I don't want to stop this. This is, uh, this is what I came to do. So he's exemplifying this sacrificial, mission-driven love. The depth of Jesus' commitment to God's word, even in the face of personal suffering. Jesus essentially has chose his, his, his commitment and devotion to God over himself. 
And that's what he means when he declares to his disciples, listen to me, take up your cross and follow me. The path I've got to go on. Do you, you sure you want to walk this path? You sure you want to follow me? Hey, count the cost. Slow down now. I know you're excited. You saw me do some cool things. You had a warm, fuzzy feeling. The worship was good. You, man, you just feel all sweet inside. But listen, this is a hard road. It's narrow. Few will make it. And so that's, for us, he's showing us this is what it actually looks like. And then what does he do? He takes the man's ear <laughs> and fixes it, heals the dude on the way to being betrayed. On the way to being sacrificed, he's continuing to heal. I'm not giving y'all any more of my gifts. Uh, uh, that's it. We're done. Jesus is like, no, this is all a part of it. I'm exemplifying for you what it looks like to be a disciple who gets betrayed. Mm. So we've got to understand what it means to have sacrificial love for other people. That I'm willing, man, my, 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 personal, my personal preferences are not what the priority are. My desire is to become and know God and to, and to become like Jesus. And whatever that process is, it's probably going to be ugly. I'm probably not going to like it a lot of the time. But I know He's a good father, so he wants what's best for me. So I trust his plan versus my instincts. So naturally, you know what Jesus has to do to grow us? He's got to push you out of your comfort zone. He's got to make you uncomfortable because that's where growth happens. He's got to make you... But Jesus, I want warm, fuzzy feelings. I don't, I'm not interested in the fire. Nah, I got a lot of fire. But if you trust me, you'll come out like gold. First, fourth thing you see is Jesus also lived with vulnerable love. Now, this one for me is the hardest one. Judas, we ain't hear much about Judas in the, in the, in the, in the book, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We ain't hear too much about Judas. Two or three times we heard about him, whatever. Peter, now we heard a lot about him. Peter was always talking. Peter was always jumping up front. Peter was always saying what he was going to do. I'm ride or die, Jesus. You can count on me. I got your back no matter what. Gee, all right. Now, Peter, I'm expecting you to show up when it's time to show up. This is the heart of betrayal for me. John 18, 15. Simon Peter was following Jesus as another disciple as was another disciple. The disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest. So they went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. So far, so good. But Peter remained standing outside the door. So the other disciple went in, went in, talked to the girl at the door, was able to get Peter in. Okay, so far, so good. Peter, you still rocking with Jesus? Everything's great. Then the servant girl who was the doorkeeper said to Peter, you aren't one of the disciples too, are you? All right, Peter, perfect time. Ride or die. We in this together, baby. You said you take, man, whatever happens to me, you down, right? I am not, he said. Oh, my gosh. Now, the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing there warming themselves, and Peter was standing there with them warming himself. 
Jesus goes through his go through, 25 to 27. What happened? Now Simon Peter was standing there warming himself. They said to him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? Again, he denied it and said, I am not. A relative of the man who Peter had cut his ear off, (laughs) word travels fast, said, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Peter denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. Jesus had spoken to Peter specifically about his betrayal. You remember that in John 13? Jesus had looked him in the eye and told him specifically. Maybe you don't remember, I'm going to read it to you. John 13, 36, 38. Lord, Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? Jesus answered. Where I'm going, you can't follow me now, but you'll follow later. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you, Jesus replied. Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I tell you, a rooster will not crow until you've denied me three times. If you know somebody's going to betray you, do you give them your heart? You know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that they are going to betray you. Do you live with an open heart around that person? No, of course not. Now, some of y'all are really good Jesus followers, so you're like, yes, of course, I would love them in in spite of, yeah, whatever. So, good for you. (laughs) But for the most of us, no way. And Jesus lived with vulnerable love, whereas Peter, Peter let fear put his love aside. And that's a picture of what many of us go through. It's the fear, it's the insecurity, it's, the, it's I don't know how this is gonna look, I don't, no, I don't, I, I'd rather protect myself than to live with my heart open before other people. And I mean, this is the crux of Jesus' whole talk about, I love you all so much. I care about you. I'm leaving somebody else. I got to do this. He didn't allow the wounds of betrayal to close off his heart to these people. He knew the crowd would turn on him. He knew the institutions were no good. He knew that his disciples were going to fold under pressure. And still, Jesus said, I'm going to love you found this quote from Malcolm X. Here's what he said. Malcolm X pointedly said to me, to me, the thing that is worse than death is betrayal. I could conceive death. I couldn't conceive betrayal. And that's what Peter did. He betrayed the one he said he would lay down his life for. And even, and listen, watch, watch this, this is crazy. Jesus did conceive it, and he chose to love him anyway. How do we know? He chose to wash his feet. He washed the feet of Judas and Peter, knowing that both of them were going to turn their back on him. That's crazy. So how do we arm ourselves against such deep wounds? How do you prepare your heart to continue loving in a world where those we love can sometimes be the source of our greatest pain? How do we do that? All right, Pastor Charlie, like, listen, you done laid it on thick. I told you it was sad. It was hard. It was rough. 
First thing we typically jump to is Romans chapter 12. Here's what it says. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Whoa, what do you mean? Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I'll repair, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Whoa, whoa, you asking a lot. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. That's where we get the term kill him with kindness. But typically, it's a little pettiness woven in there. It's not, it's not, yeah, I'm going to give you something to drink. Watch the, you know what I'm saying? So it's, it don't be pure like. But Romans 12, it goes on to say, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Now, that sounds very eloquent. And that sounds very good. But when you're in the heat of it, it's very difficult. It sounds like too much. But what I found is, we, the calling that we aspire to is right. We must face betrayal, but not with a spirit of vengeance or withdrawal. So right now, if you go on social media and you hear a lot of talk about what? Boundaries. You should have healthy boundaries. Or they'll go even extreme. Well, cut them all off. Don't deal with anybody. Cut them off. Don't talk to them. Block them. Everything. Okay. That's all. That's all. That feels right. Feels good. But that's not how Jesus asks us to operate. But he gives us some actual tools. And not only tools, what I find interesting is as you've been walking through the book of John, he's been leaving breadcrumbs on how he was able to prepare for betrayal. So watch this. Back in John 15, what did he say he does all the time? He abides in the Father. He says, yo, I don't do anything apart from my Father. Like, I'm chilling in him. I'm in the Father. I'm not doing anything outside of him. So maybe that's a clue for many of us. We've got to learn how to what? Abide in the Father. John 13, 3, he goes on. I know my identity and purpose. This is what I came to do, to lay down my life. So some of us need to learn how to spend time in the scriptures learning what our identity is and what our purpose is. And not only knowing that, but not your personal purpose, but the fact that God is forming in you Christ's likeness and he will do that at any means necessary. He will use whatever means to purify and mature you. So I've got to trust his purposes for me over what feels good. Third thing he did, he obeys God's will. Whatever you see me doing, whatever you see the Father, whatever I see the Father doing, that's what you see me doing. So he's obedient to the will of God. So my challenge will be practice obedience by listening to God's guidance in your life and following and trusting it, even when it leads you out of comfort. Another thing Jesus did. He would love unconditionally. He would actively love and serve others. He would practice forgiveness. He would extend grace even when it was undeserved. That's a practice that we must develop. Betrayal is lonely. What did Jesus do to develop a sense of stability in the midst of loneliness? He practiced solitude. Jesus regularly withdrew to solitary places to pray, especially when things were great, so that when he went through the valley, it didn't feel strange. So listen, we got to learn how to 
Get into solitude, away from the distractions to pray, reflect, and draw strength from the Father. Jesus lived with transparency. Everybody knew where he was, what he was doing, what he was up to. So practice honesty and integrity in how you deal with others. It'll give you that sense of peace when people accuse you or betray you. You know internally, I'm not double dealing with people. I've lived with a sense of transparency and integrity. And the last thing Jesus did that we see in John is that he focused on the joy that was set before him. What gets us beyond betrayal? Man, there is a joy set before me that I have to go down this road to get to it. So in closing is this. Jesus faced betrayal head on. Not with guarded skepticism, but with open-hearted love. Many of us come into a church setting like this. I don't know your background. You don't know me. You don't know what I'm going to say, what I'm going to do. But Jesus enters spaces like this with an open heart, giving people a chance. He goes, I know you've been broken before. I know you've been disappointed before. But hey, let's try. Let's give a little bit of grace. And despite the hurt that may come, the way of Jesus invites us to a path of healing and openness, not for naivete, but for transformation. It walks us into transformation to be able to walk above betrayal so that we could become more like Christ. So after all of this, at the end of the day, Jesus is handed off and the next chapter goes into his, the, the outcome of this betrayal. But for us, Can you identify areas in your life where you have allowed betrayal to close off your heart to others? Are there points in your life where you've just been like, man, that's it? Take some time to pray this week and invite God to heal those wounds, that he would empower you and give you the strength to live sacrificially like Jesus did. That don't have to be the end of the road. That don't have to be the end of relationships or trust or care or compassion. It doesn't have to be. It can actually deepen and enrich it. And lastly, take a practical step this week. You might need to strike a conversation with somebody you've been avoiding, or you may need to serve somebody without expectation of anything in return. That's what it looks like to move beyond betrayal. I'm not keeping record of all that baggage, all that disappointment, No, I'm laying that down, and I'm going to continue to live open-hearted. Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. But if you are drinking and being filled by the eternal life and living water of Jesus, you can move beyond betrayal. And that's my prayer for you. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I am grateful that you model for us the deepest and darkest pains that we could ever experience so that we at least have a model, a blueprint, a grid on how to navigate it. So many times we go through things that, man, it just does not, it just does not make sense. And we don't know how to figure it out. We're drawn at straws. But Jesus, you're so kind because you model for us what it looks like to be a person who's been betrayed. You know the depth of the feeling, the brokenhearted nature of things, the 
the way that, that, that pain kind of stings our heart, every time we think of that person, that conversation, that moment, that situation, how the anxiety rises, the anger rises, the disappointment comes back. But you give us a pathway to get beyond it. That we don't have to be closed off, hard-hearted, callous people, but that we can be wise and discerning, kind and compassionate people that live with a sense of sacrificial love and care, knowing that you will make all things right, that you will justify where we have been betrayed, and that in the end, you will make all things new. So those tears that have been captured in our pillows, those conversations that will probably never be had, the, the apologies that will probably never come, we know that in a few moments when we take communion together, we're reminded that your blood was shed for that sin and that we will experience your, pre your presence when we celebrate how we overcame this broken and dark world that includes our betrayal. So, Lord, we thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gallery Church Podcast. I want you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your mind and heart. Let Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, do the deep work that only he can do. I want to say thank you to everyone who gives to the church. Your gifts make this podcast and ministry possible here in Baltimore and other parts of the world. You can be a part of our work by going to gallerychurchbaltimore.com give or by downloading the church app from the app store. You can also subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening or watching and may God's grace and peace be with you.